Hi, I'm Hera, the mom. And I'm Estella, the kid. And this is Seeking Different. There are times when everyone feels different or left out. As a non-traditional mom and kid family, we're setting out to explore all the ways that families can be different. This is Seeking Different. Hi, welcome to another episode of Seeking Different. Today, Mama and I have a special guest, and I'm excited to ask her loads of questions. So, Stella, before we introduce our guests, I want to set the stage and give you a little background on something. You know when we chatted a little bit about the reasons why I chose the donor that I chose? Yeah. Well, when Mama was looking for a donor, there were a lot of things that I really cared about, but my starting point was to find a donor that had a similar racial background as I do. And in my case, since I'm biracial Black, I looked for a donor who was also biracial Black. Were there a lot of donors to choose from? So do you just look online? Well, there are a lot of donors. And yes, many women go online uh, to sperm banks. And there weren't a lot of donors that were either Black or biracial Black. And the past decade, I've been in the single mom by choice community, and I've learned a lot about how hard it is to find a Black donor. And I also learned that I got really lucky to find the donor that I did because he had everything I cared about. But many women who are looking for Black donors get really frustrated in the process because out of hundreds and hundreds of donors at any given time, only a very small number of them are Black. Out of the ones that are, it might be even harder to find somebody who has one of the other qualities you care about. So out of like a hundred donors are just a little bit of black donors. So, so like you have to choose like thousands. So you have to choose one of those small amount of black donors. Yes. And what if like there's only six and none of them look like you? So typically when moms choose donors, now this is not always true because some people don't necessarily care if the person looks like them, but typically when moms choose donors, they want to choose a donor that kind of looks like their family, right? Mm -hmm. So like, you know how you look a lot like mama? Yeah. It's because you are my child, but also because I chose a donor that looks like our family. Also, does he have curly hair? He had wavy hair, I think. Wavy curly hair. Uh Oh. But yeah, I wanted to choose a donor that was brown and... So like, I've got your hair. You have like a mixture between our hairs. So like his hair is straight, straighter and then your hair is curlier. I assume that his hair is straighter than mine because your hair is not as curly as mine. But I've never straight. met the guy, so I don't actually know. But I do know that he was biracial black. And that was my, that was, that was the first thing that caused me to narrow down my search. And then the reason I chose him was because he also had other things that I cared about. Like he was really smart. Uh, he was really healthy. He was really close with his family. And he was really good at grammar, which sounds crazy, but you're a very good writer too. And I think part of the reason is because your donor was a good writer as well. If he was healthy, then is that why I'm, then is that why I'm at gymnastics? He was also athletic. So that could be why you're such a good gymnast. I love gymnastics. It's the best. It is the best. All right. Are you ready to meet our guest? Yes. Our guest today is Angela Stepancic. She's the founder and CEO of the Reproductive Village Cryobank, RBC. 
which is a supportive, safe, and responsive community where Black sperm donors and Black parents work together to expand and educate their families. And RBC is coming to Washington, D.C., also known as Chocolate City, in the summer of 2023, this year. So welcome to the show, Angela. We're so thankful that you took the time to come chat with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. So what made you to decide to open a sperm egg? Tell us a little bit about like the journey to this moment. Yeah, so I really um, knew nothing about sperm banks or cryobanks or the journey to this moment until my wife and I began looking for donors for our first child. And when we did, we were just kind of flabbergasted and really dismayed to see that there wasn't a lot out there. Um, we were even kind of vying for donors with my line sister in New York, who was also going through her fertility journey. And it was kind of like we were like stealing them from each other. <laughs> and I was just like, this is crazy. Why don't we have more choices? Why don't we have more options? And it's also such a vulnerable time, right? Like you're going through this process. You don't know what's going to work and when or how. And then for this to be another factor that just isn't promising, um, it can really impact your whole journey. And so after talking with some of the uh, big sperm or the legacy cryobanks that are out there, I realized that this is kind of like an ongoing problem and has been a consistent problem for years. And so I figured, you know, if they haven't solved it yet, let me try to solve it and let me really dig in to figure out what the issues are and how we can really overcome them. And so that's when I decided, you know, why not me? Like, why not I go and open um, the first Black-owned cryobank? And so I've been on the journey to do it kind of since then. It's been about 12 to 18 months or so. And really quick though. Congratulations. You know, it's I'm we were part of the Halcyon Accelerator that works with um, small social enterprises. And also, it's just such an urgent need that it's like everyone's like, I wish you would open yesterday. You know what I mean? No, like in my mom's group, it's really funny that whenever a black sperm donor comes up on any bank, they all post it and they're like, run quick. (laughs) (laughs) That's really how it is. It's like everybody's racing to the finish line, except we all want each other to win, right? Exactly. And so it's like horrible because it's like, you know, everybody's competing for this small pool. And, you know, like I was telling Stella earlier, if you have any sort of genetic thing, like if you have sickle cell or something like that, you know, it's like the 33 that are out there out of hundreds are now like two. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, super hard. On our podcast, we like to celebrate non-traditional families. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? What makes your family unique? Hmm. So we are non-traditional. I I guess we would call ourselves queer. Um, My wife and I are obviously two women. Also, both of us come from first-generation American families. So that's really exciting and unique too. My wife, both of her parents are immigrants to America from Dominican Republic. And my father is an immigrant from Croatia. And, And my mother is a Black American. And so we have kind of like a unique makeup where we have a lot of um, international elements and a lot of cultures coming together to form who we are. Never mind like sexuality or whatever. It's really just we we bring a lot to the mix and we try to value all the cultures that are within us. So do you and your wife have kids yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We um my daughter was born last February. Oh, and yeah, yeah. So that's really exciting. She just turned one in February. And right now, uh, Mother's Day is tomorrow, but right now my mother-in-law is upstairs just having a ball with her. So that's exciting. That's a that's a really fun age. <laughs> They're like starting to walk, 
Yeah. Yeah. She's just starting to realize that she can like bat things away with her hand. And so when my wife or I like reach in to do something, she'll like bat our hand away. And at this point it's driving my wife mad. Right. (laughs) I'm curious. It's like what your educational background, like do you have a science background or like what kind of made you think deeper into this topic or, or, or is it like a business background and you're like, this makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it certainly makes sense. Anyone who has gone through the process realizes how much money you spend throughout the journey. So if we're just talking business sense, it absolutely makes sense to open up a cryobank that's actually focused on and giving back to our community. But my actual background is in education. I was a leader, a principal of two schools for 12 years. And then I did some consulting across America or across the U.S. pretty much. And now I um, do consulting still. I have my own business and I'm also then driving this dream of the sperm bank home to a reality. And so I think it's it wasn't a background in science. It was really like a passion for the purpose. Right. And seeing that um, certain things are a calling. And when you you know, like when you get that bell ringing in your head, you might as well start chasing the noise. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Thanks. I'm curious about what such things your bank will look for in a donor. Like, can anyone be a donor or is there a test they must pass? So that's a really good question. Um, There, I wouldn't call it a test, but there's a lot of screening that they have to do to go through to be a donor because you want to make sure that your body is healthy and that you're giving healthy bits of yourself to others. And so um, right now, there are some restrictive practices in place at a lot of sperm banks that prevent a great number of Black or brown men from being donors. And those are things like um, needing generations and generations of your healthcare history. A lot of people who have been imprisoned before um, can't donate. Many times men without a college degree can't donate. And so what we're going to do is really look at those sort of things and see if this is national policy or really just a choice to see what if there, if we might be actually hindering ourselves from really bringing in a more diverse population due to archaic realities. Yeah, I was just going to ask like what you thought was the biggest barrier, you know, and it sounds like you have done some initial kind of like looking into this. I have my own theories. Like I feel like, you know, the education thing is probably really important. And I know a lot of banks will do things like they'll ask for, you know, SAT scores or LSAT scores, which feels a little bit anybody who who is has an education background will know that that is not really a sign of intelligence necessarily. It can be a little elitist, right? It's like we're knocking out people who may not be able, aren't good test takers, but could be amazing humans, you know? And even a lot of banks, Stella, it's crazy. They don't even take people who are under five foot seven. So yeah, yeah. So it's like- No short men. No short men. We don't want any short men. And so that's crazy. If you think about like people starting their families, I mean, what if it's a short family, right? And they're, you know- Yeah, and at this point- Yeah, at this point, even a lot of Black women are like, I'll take some five, six sperm. I don't care. I just want some, you know what I mean? It's like you start to really think about what matters, like what truly matters. And I think some of the um, restrictions maybe don't necessarily matter to Black and Brown communities in the way that they mattered when sperm banks were originally launched. People also think about a lot of times, like what is most important to them? And, you know, some people don't, 
don't think about, you know, race or, you know, or cultural background or whatnot as being important. But like, I know a lot of black women do, especially, you know, if you want your kid to look like they fit in your family, just color wise, I am surprised given the demand that more banks aren't trying to, to consider this. Cause my thing is, as long as you disclose what it is that, you know, like if the person had been in prison, right. As long as you disclose what the circumstances might be, or because there are people who are also wrongfully accused of things. Sure. And, and as Black people, we know about the system, right? We're very well aware of the inundation of Black people in the system in ways that it's not inundated by other races, per se. And what's interesting about um, some banks right now are moving to accepting donors with the sickle cell trait because they see that it has eliminated a lot of Black men from being able to participate in do- donating. And so now they're accepting um, patients with the sickle cell trait and flagging it is what they're calling it. And I think that those are the sorts of moves that like will continue to open up the donor market um, to other donors. You mentioned earlier, you wonder like, what are the legacy sperm banks doing? A lot of them have been throwing money at this problem for like, five, 10 years now and recruiting marketing teams and spending millions. However, I don't think that the difference is just putting a black face on an advertisement, right? And then when you come to the the um the cryobank, you actually, you know, rarely see black people in leadership. And so I think that we're no longer fooled, right? By by kind of like, you know, a marketing campaign that targets us. We're we're no longer fooled by that because we actually are looking for authentic community and we're looking for our own people to be part of and responsible for our own healthcare. And so transitioning to that, I think is is what's going to cause reproductive village to actually put itself in a position of excellence and broad impact. So do you have to know the donor like do you have to like once you choose the donor do you have to like like know him? You mean like the people who work there? No, so like after you choose the donor, like oh, so you're saying if the, like the, like if you don't even know the donor, you just choose him. The recipient. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So basically, when you're going online to pick between the different donors, you don't know any of them for real. You don't know. It's kind of just like looking at like Facebook, but you don't know any of the faces. And so when you pick a donor, you pick him and you maybe decide that he's going to be the donor for your baby. And then usually years down the line, usually about when the baby turns 18, that's when you might get more information about actually connecting with the donor. And that's called um, right now. They used to do a lot of anonymous donation, meaning you don't know the donor at all ever and will never meet them. But now with like 23andMe and a lot of these like gene research projects, it's like we can all find out who everybody is and who's related anyway. So that's why they're moving towards open donation, which means that when the child turns 18, you'll be able to connect with the the donor and figure out all the information you need. But at the start, you don't know anybody. How is RBC planning on handling that? Are you going to just be honest with them and be like, you know, there's genetic stuff out there that. Yeah, well, that's the way um, all cryobanks are moving in the direction of open donation because you can't, you know, you can't figure you, you can't protect that any longer. We've moved past that. And so every I, RVC will move uh, along that standard with every other sperm bank and go with open donors once the um, child turns 18. 
Um, where do you find donors? I've never seen a donor on a commercial. <laughs> you know, um, well, one, we're going to have commercials, which will be really cool. So then you'll actually be able to see a donor commercial one day. Um, and also, you really have to when you think about like starting a business, you always think about who you're marketing to. And so what you have to do is go to where those donors are. Like, so if we were marketing to say like six-year-old students, we would go to a school, right? Because that's where six-year-old students would go. And so because we're marketing to men between the ages of like 18 and 38, we'll go to universities, we'll go to community events, we'll go to fraternities, we'll go to where the people are and know that our good word will pass and more people will come. You guys should come to tech companies. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> oh my God, they're, yeah, they're, they're overflowing with that age group, right? Yeah, they they do actually have more. Like of the black men who work in tech, I I would say that it trends towards like youngish, you know, right out of school and yeah. Like that. That you're great. already part of the marketing team. Thanks. Yeah, like they they'd be good at math and science, yeah. <laughs> and usually college grads, right? college grads they might be under five seven sometimes actually you know what I most of the ones that I know aren't so you know but but yeah if you if you don't care about the height then (laughs) okay awesome so I've recently connected with a few organizations for donor conceived people and so they're advocating for reforms in the fertility industry like verification of medical history stricter limits on the number of donations um, that a single person can make And now that I'm a mom of two lovely little donor-conceived children, I can see a little bit more how the lack of regulation can lead to things like, you know, women matching with donors on Facebook sites. And um, I also care about these issues. So I'm wondering, like, what your thoughts are and and how your your bank is kind of thinking around these kind of ethical issues that have been a problem for so long. Yeah, I think that one of the reasons why my fam personally, why we opted to go with a bank is because it is so much safer. You're guaranteed certain um, assurances and everything has been tested well. And you don't have to worry about creating a legal contract between someone you may know, may not know, may trust or may not trust. And so you don't have to build double relationships anywhere. I think I've I've always been worried about the meet a donor on Facebook or meet through a friend without a really strong contract. And a lot of legal cases are coming out that aren't deciding for the parents. It's actually deciding in the direction of the donor. And so at RVC, what we really want to do is help kind of educate and bring awareness to the safety that sperm banks offer um, and recognizing that, you know, we not only are safe medically, it's also safer interpersonally. And so those are the things that that we want to educate people on. We can't control what happens on Facebook or how people choose to connect in their personal lives. But what we can do is bring more awareness to other ways to do it to keep your family safe um, and your legacy safe too. So I'm wondering, so I, I roll in the SMC communities a lot. So I see it from like that lens. And I'm curious um, in the LGBTQ community, if if you're seeing a lot of women taking to Facebook and taking to like trying to find like known donors. And I say known in like quotes because like I agree with you. It's like, you don't really know this person, right? You just, yeah. you met them once on Facebook and, you know, there's no medical history or, or anything. And 
you know, for all you know, this person could have some some really uh, dangerous genetic conditions. We're seeing a lot of people make not the safest decisions in order to have um, a child and a child who looks like them and is part of their community and culture. We're also seeing people who aren't necessarily experts in the legal realm take really big risks with their family and their future through using contracts off the internet in order to do this um, and really not getting the advice that an expert can offer. And so I it's just like it's happening with um, single moms, just like it's even happening sometimes like with heterosexual families. It's certainly happening in the LGBT community. Um, and it's it's really just something we have to bring more awareness to and that more awareness is going to come because of all the public legal cases that are out there along these lines. We ask our guests a fun question at the end and it's to describe themselves like their favorite drink. Like for me, I am a Shirley Temple. I'm sweet, bubbly, and sometimes dark and sometimes light, but always delicious. Mm. Mama is like coffee. She's sometimes sweet and sometimes a little bitter. I reject the bitter part. Wholeheartedly <laughs> <laughs> reject it, but that's fine. <laughs> In the morning, you're usually... Before I get my coffee, I am a little bit cranky and bitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... So what, what, how would you describe yourself? Like your favorite drink? Yeah. Okay. So what really came to mind? I really love fresh squeezed orange juice, like full of pulp, like all the thick, like I love it to like where it tastes just like kind of someone stuck a straw in an orange. And so I think that it's like orange juice is seasonal, right? Like sometimes it's like the perfect taste. Sometimes it's a little tangy and not everybody likes pulp and people have strong feelings about it. Like very, very strong feelings about whether they like pulp or not. And so I think that um, a lot of people end up having really, really strong feelings about me. And it's like orange juice is like a good combination. It mixes well with everything. And there are certain things that absolutely does not mix with like milk. Right. Oh yeah. Right. And you never, you ever try to reach for like one or the other, and then you pick up the other one and your mouth is like, oh my God. And you're like, no, oh, like if you just brush your teeth, like the orange juice tastes yes. a little Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I would give, it's I, would better say, or- I would say pulpy orange juice. Like, yeah, pul- you, you don't want it all the time, but when you want it, you're like, gimme, gimme. Well, the only milk that I like by itself is chocolate milk. Mm. Um, and I only like regular milk with cereal. Oh, yeah. Do you drink the milk after you finish your cereal? Her sister does. <laughs> okay. I know that that's another choice. That's I'm, another yeah, choice. Yeah. I waste milk. She's a milk yeah. waster. She won't drink it after like the cereal is done. Well, I mean, the milk served its purpose. It was just a little a little driver to the cereal, right? And, like, if we don't have any more milk left, then my grandma makes me drink it with water. But like, I don't want the cereal to be, I don't want to taste the cereal too much. I also want a little bit of like flavor to it. <laughs> I get you. I get you. That sounds good. Okay. So before we wrap, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share, like, how can people find out about you, get involved? Yeah. Yeah. Um, help because I know I mean even the, those of us who have had our kids we're like we love this this is amazing <laughs> because we understand how hard it is to you know actually find a donor that can give you the family you want yeah so 
Right now, um, what we're doing is really building up our client and donor pools so people can go visit our website, reproductivevillage.com. And there's a sign up right there where you can sign up to just stay with us, follow our journey, get more information and be in our pool as soon as we get going as both a client and a donor. The other thing, people can check us out on Instagram. We are at rvcryo on Instagram. So check us there. And we're also on June 25th, we're going to have a um, kind of like a brunch and learn session around Black family building as kind of like the first launch of a community building session where people who are on their journeys can come together and really talk and share and feel comforted by other people who are on the journey too. And that's um, available on the IG site as well as on Facebook. I mean, not Facebook, but the website. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Angela. We are so excited about the upcoming opening of Reproductive Village Cryobank. And we look forward to continuing to follow your journey, supporting your efforts any way we can. And future mamas, if you are looking for a Black donor, please check out RVC. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you both. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Seeking Different. If you like what you heard, share us with your family and friends. Tell us what you'd like to hear on future episodes and share your stories about belonging and family. You can connect with us on Instagram at Seeking Different. See you next time.